0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. We want to welcome you back to our podcast in the Gospel of John. Today we're going to pick it up in John chapter 5. Chapters 5 through 10 kind of begin a new section in the Gospel of John. We noted last time that John chapters 2, 3, and 4 were kind of marked off by these references to Cana. And now John 5 begins this new section with Jesus and the Jewish festivals. What's going to happen in these six chapters is that a festival is going to be mentioned. And its primary symbols are going to then be described. And then Jesus is going to be seen as fulfilling the symbol or demonstrating his authority over it. In chapter 5, it's going to be the festival of the Sabbath. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. In John 6, it's going to be Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. In chapter 7, 8, and 9, Jesus is going to fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John 10, Jesus is going to fulfill the Feast of Dedication, also known as the Feast of Hanukkah. Now, in chapters 5 and 6, the central motif is really this idea of conflict. Jesus is going to reveal himself, but he's going to meet resistance. Both chapter 5 and chapter 6 have the same structure. It's going to begin with a miracle. Then it's going to have the reaction of the Jews or the multitude to that miracle. And it's going to have this long section where Jesus is going to speak and, and explain what's going on. In the first 15 verses of John 5, Jesus is going to be on trial. He's going to heal a man who's paralyzed. Let's begin in verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the waters. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there, who had been there thirty-eight years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Well, who is this who who said to you to take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 1 begins with Jesus traveling to Jerusalem for a feast. Now the problem here is that we don't know what feast it is. It's commonly perceived that this is the Feast of Passover, and if it is, there will be four Passovers mentioned in the Gospel of John. It's the reference to these four Passovers, if indeed this is a Passover, that leads us to conclude that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long. Only in the Gospel of John do we have any idea how long Jesus' ministry is. If there were four Passovers that he went to Jerusalem for, then there must have been at least three and a half years for Jesus' ministry. Now, three and a half years is actually a significant time frame in the Jewish world. In the apocalyptic world of Jesus' day, three and a half years was the length of time during which God's people suffer. That's probably the reason why three and a half is so prominent in the book of Revelation. It's the period of time in which God's people minister and suffer. So it seems only fitting that Jesus ministered for three and a half years as well. Nonetheless, he goes down for this particular feast and he goes by the Sheep Gate. And the Sheep Gate is kind of a little opening in the north wall of the city a little west of the northeast corner of the wall. Now, the upper class would simply have avoided this area, but not Jesus. Jesus goes and finds a man who's been there for 38 years, and he has kind of compassion on the man. He says, "What well, do you want to get well? The man says, well, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when I get stirred up. Now, if we watch carefully, this man is not really being portrayed very well by the Gospel of John. The man, after all, is carrying his man on the Sabbath day, even though he probably knows that he shouldn't have, but his response is, hey, the guy who made me well told me to do it. He blames Jesus for his breaking of the Sabbath. When they say, well, who was it that made you well? The man doesn't even know Jesus' name. When he does find out Jesus' name, he then reports Jesus to the authorities. Uh, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Note there seems to be no forgiveness offered in this in this particular story either. In fact, Jesus confronts the man and says, Look, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. Nonetheless, this act of healing the man on the Sabbath day becomes a a point of contention. Jesus' response, however, is that my Father is working until now, and so I'm also working. This, again, continues this thought of Jesus as this agent, this one sent by the Father, and I'm doing whatever the Father tells me to do. And if my Father works on the Sabbath day, then I work on the Sabbath day. Now, you might wonder, well, what does the Father do on the Sabbath day? After all, didn't God create the world in six days and then rest on the seventh? Yeah, but he rested from his work of creating. There's no doubt within Scripture that the Father is busy with his work of sustaining creation, and he sustains creation on all seven days of the week. We also, and even the Jews, acknowledge that people are born and die on the Sabbath day, and yet God's the giver of life and the judge, so God must be working on the Sabbath day. But if God's working on the Sabbath day, is he breaking the Sabbath? No, it's that would be silly to conclude that. So Jesus is then claiming this equality with God. In particular, he's claiming to be God's divine agent, the representative of, or the emissary. And as God's agent, he has the right and the ability to do whatever God does. Note his the kind of exclusivity that Jesus uses when referring to the Father. He calls him my Father. My Father is working until now. The Jews would never call God their Father. They would refer to God as our Father. Even Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father but Jesus is claiming that God to be my Father claims this equality with him. So the Jews decide that they're going to have Jesus killed. Jesus answers them in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show him that you may marvel. For... Just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whomever he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus' response is kind of a thoroughly rabbinic response. He kind of begins with an answer, and the central element of his argument is. That the Son is to learn the trade or the skill of the Father. The Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something that the he sees the Father doing. He then follows that statement with four. For he says, all the Father does, the Son does. Second time he says, For the Father loves the Son. Thirdly he says, For the Father and the Son raise the dead and give life. And then fourthly he says, for the Father gave all judgment to the Son. And then it climaxes with this, in order that, this purpose statement. In order that, all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. This this idea of agency is running through this passage very deeply and very significantly. Whatever we do to Jesus, however, however we receive Jesus, is how we receive the Father. Because Jesus is the agent of the Father. Therefore, if you don't honor the Son, then you don't honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24 continues, Truly truly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you that an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Note for Jesus, there's an emphasis on salvation by hearing the word of God and applying it to one's life. You have to hear the word of God and believe him who sent me. To not do that is to not honor the Son and therefore is to not honor the Father. An hour is coming, Jesus says, in fact, when all who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. After all, the Father and the Son both have life in themselves, and if I call, then they will come forth. Now Jesus goes on to to say, look, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. So Jesus begins this courtroom scene by saying, look, I could defend myself, but you won't believe me. After all, I'm not really speaking for myself anyways. I'm speaking for the sake of of someone else and, and that someone else who bears witness of me. And I know this testimony is true. The problem is, is you don't listen to that someone else. That someone else is probably the father. Verse 33, you sent the John and he's born witness to the truth. But the witness I receive is not from man. But I say these things that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while. All right, if my own self-attestation is not is not sufficient, and if you won't listen to the voice of the Father, then what about John the Baptist? John the Baptist publicly testified before me. When the Jewish authorities were sent a to delegation to, to see John the Baptist in chapter 1, John the Baptist testified that Jesus is the one they need to think about. John the Baptist then testified publicly by saying, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, Jesus seems to elevate John's ministry by saying, he was a lamp. Now, remember in chapter 1, it says that Jesus was the true light that enlivens every man. Well, John the Baptist is is a lamp, even though he's not actually the true light. He's a lamp that shows the way to the true light. Verse 36, Jesus says, But the witness I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. If you won't believe my own words, and if you won't believe the Father, then... then, then believe John the Baptist. And if you won't believe John the Baptist, then believe the works that I do. Verse 37, the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, and you don't have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in him who sent me. Look, I have the best testimony of all, and that's the Father. The problem is, is that you don't have his word abiding in you. Now, the, the voice of the Father that You've neither seen or heard it at any time. May It could be a reference to the baptism of Jesus when the Father spoke. But more likely, it's this voice that Moses heard. The Jews prided themselves on being the nation who heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai. Now, Jesus kind of responds and says, but guess what? You haven't heard his voice. You're not part of that contingency because you haven't believed in the one whom he sent. If I am the agent and representative of the Father and you don't believe me, then you don't believe the Father. Verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's these that bear witness of me. And you're unwilling to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, for the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you believe me, because Moses wrote about me. If you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Search the scriptures. Now, now there's actually two ways to translate verse 39. It could be you are searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's those, it's these that bear witness of me. Or it could be Jesus commanding them. You, know, you need to search the scriptures because it's these that bear witness of me. The problem is, is that you're unwilling to come to me. The irony is this. Jesus says, I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you'll receive that person. Look, don't think I'm going to accuse you, he concludes this passage by saying, I'm not going to accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. It's this is great irony. They they thought that Moses was the, their great intercessor. And the implication is the fact that Moses, on whom you set your hopes, it's he that's going to accuse you. If you believe Moses, you believe me, because Moses wrote about me. This is a really important statement, by the way, uh, because the scriptures are about Jesus. So often we have this understanding that when we go read the Old Testament, we read this verse and this verse and this verse as being about Jesus. And here's a prophecy here and here's a prophecy there. And, but Jesus is indicating throughout the gospel story that the entirety of the story is about me. If you believe Moses, not this verse, this verse, and this verse, but all that Moses wrote, you believe me because Moses wrote about me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.